0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com/slash/slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for October 31st, 2017. On this Halloween edition of Slash Film Daily, we're not going to be doing any news. We're just going to dive into Stranger Things 2 and give you our reactions and have a spoiler-filled discussion of uh, the sequel. Um, so if you have not, seen Stranger Things too. You may want to turn this off now. Keep this until you are finished your binge. Uh, And yes, enjoy. Uh, This is Peter Soda. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And Slash Film Writer Chris Evangelista.
2: Hello.
1: Okay, guys. So we both, all three of us, have collectively binged actually before this is going on it's 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 kind of late where you are in philly chris and you 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 mentioned that you might have trick-or-treaters so how is that going to affect this podcast
2: yes well uh i just put a a bowl on my front porch on a table with a sign that says help yourself so i'm hoping (laughs) (laughs) i'm hoping that will take care of things while we're recording but we'll we'll see how that goes
1: how does that usually work in your neighborhood will will kids just like take the whole bowl?
2: <laughs> I've never actually done it before. actually, one year because my wife and I got married uh right before Halloween, we went on our honeymoon on Halloween, I actually left a bowl on our on our our porch then that said, "Help yourself when we left, and when we came back, it was empty, so <laughs> I'm assuming it worked but we'll, i'm I'm hoping it's not like one kid shows up and takes all of it, but we'll see. <laughs> I feel like if you were a cheapskate, you could
1: just get away with putting a bowl with that sign and never actually putting any candy in. It's true. oh, I tried. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, okay, let's get on to Stranger Things. Before we get into Stranger Things 2, uh, I thought it would be best for us to give our thoughts on the first season. Uh, I'll go first. Um I love Stranger Things one. Uh, you know, I'm a person who grew up on Goonies and all the kind of films that I feel like this is pay- that that series was paying an homage to. Um, for many years, I was kind of bummed out that we couldn't get movies with kids in danger without having you know, you know that like the the race to Witch Mountain remake you know the rock was all of a sudden the star because you can't sell it with just the kids um but i i kind of loved that it was this it was you know what it was this year uh in theaters um and it uh it was more than just nostalgia the characters were really good uh the mythology was really compelling i i, I was really all in it wasn't like um you know my favorite tv show of the year that would go to westworld but uh it was up there uh,
2: Chris, how about you? Oh uh, yeah, I, I'm the same. I, I loved the first season of Stranger Things. I actually, I got a screener of the entire first season like weeks before it came out. And this was before there was any real buzz about it. And I I just didn't really even know what it was going to be like. And it really impressed me. It's actually one of my favorite, the first season at least, is actually one of my favorite Netflix shows. Like, you know, I grew up on... Steven Spielberg and Stephen King, those are like the two things that, you know, most influenced me when I was growing up. And that's exactly what that first season is is basically riffing on. It's just, it's ta- it's like combining King and Spielberg into one show. And I don't know, just watching it, it, made me very nostalgic, but not in the way where I thought the show was only about nostalgia. Like I really actually cared about the characters. I cared about the story and I, I was really impressed with it. So I was very excited for uh, season two.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think both of you said it very well. I echo all of those thoughts. Um, I think the first season surprised the hell out of me, and I was I fell in love with the characters just like everybody else. I think that was the best part of it. And I grew up as somebody who didn't even watch The Goonies until I was, I don't know, 30 years old and hated it the first and only time I've seen it. So uh, I, I feel like there's... I know, I know. That's a controversial statement. But I feel like there's... um. You know, it's not just people who love the Goonies who automatically love uh, Stranger Things. I guess is the point I'm trying to make.
1: Oh yeah, and I think I'll just, I, I think the first season of Stranger Things, uh, a lot of people I think kind of you know compare the the Amblin Amblin esque uh, Steven Spielberg aspects to of it, but it's it's more Stephen King than uh, Steven Spielberg. I feel. Yeah, that's probably true.
2: Uh, I just want to weigh in here and say that I too am not a big fan of the Goonies. Uh, I was. It was when I was a kid and I rewatched it years later and I was like, oh my God, why won't these kids shut up? They're just, they're <laughs> constantly talking. I am, however, a huge fan of the monster squad, which is pretty much like the Goonies, but with monsters. So yes. Yeah. So I, I, I'm a much bigger fan of that.
1: I, I actually want to revisit that. I have not seen that in many years. Um, but let's get out to stranger things too. I w- I w- I would. I was probably more hyped up about this than any movie this year other than Star Wars. And um you know, finally getting to see it uh this weekend, uh, it was a mixture of enjoyment and disappointment in equal measures. Um I I think I enjoyed my time with these characters and uh new and old uh mostly and I I just don't like the weird thing is I expected to enjoy the mythology that this was taking in the adventure that it was going to go on. And I feel like that's where I kind of did not enjoy this show as much. What, what are your overall general reactions then? Um, I agree. I think I,
0: I also really like the character stuff for the most part. I have some qualms that I'll get into a little bit later on with, uh, some decisions that certain characters make, but, um, the way that the storyline sort of splintered the cast, I thought was uh, just not quite as enjoyable as the first season. And I understand that, like, from a creative perspective there, you know, you don't want to just remake the same thing that worked. But I feel like there's a a line difference there between, you know, retreading and um, giving the audience what they want. And then, you know, just sort of... um, blowing everything up from the inside out. And I feel like that's the latter is sort of what happened with stranger things too. It's like they, they saw the success of the first season and just decided to go, um, you know, just take everything into one eighty. and, and some of the character interactions, you know, with the the kids and stuff are feel sort of the same. Um, And that that's where I liked the show the best, I guess, in season two. But as for the overall story, I wasn't too crazy about it. Chris, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat where I don't really, I don't want to say I don't care about the mythology, but I feel like the mythology is the least interesting part of the show, and this season was like all in on mythology, and what I care most about is these characters, and I really didn't like how the characters were split up. It it felt a lot to me like that, that Netflix Arrested Development season where all the actors were too busy to appear together, so they kept like splitting them up into their own storylines. That's what this felt like to me. And uh, you know, well, it's, a, what it, you
1: it's s- also the empire strikes back uh method of a sequel of let's, let's, you know, split them all up and have their own adventures and, and do some interesting pairings
2: as well. Right. And uh, like, like Ben said, I, I understand the need not to just rehash and like basically remake the first season, but it seems like they they went too far. They, they tried to be a little too different and, you know, the the core element of all those characters acting together, we didn't really get that until, like, the last, like, three or four episodes, and I wanted more of that.
1: Yeah. And let's talk about the story. The story was a really slow build. I, I, I think I was in episode four or maybe five, and I was like, nothing has really happened. You know, like, in, in terms of, like, you know, there was pumpkins being destroyed, and, you know, there was Will seeing his visions of the shadow monster, and there was... Obviously, who was it, Dustin, that got the uh, the little slug creature thing? Yep. Um, yeah. But aside from that, there was, it was all kind of character stuff, all all kind of like catching us up to where we needed to be. And I feel like in you know I haven't rewatched season one, but I feel like by episode four or five in season one, it was like really the the you know the plot was getting very exciting at that point. Um, did you guys have any problems with the momentum of this story?
0: Uh, I, for me, I feel like I enjoyed the earlier episodes when, you know, with that stuff you're just talking about, Peter, like the pumpkins and sort of like, um, you know, the introductions of the new characters, which we can talk about in a second. Um, I was sort of more on board with it and, you know, while Will was having his visions and stuff. And I feel like the point where it sort of, um, I don't know, maybe started to lose me a little bit was when, Will gets, I guess, inhabited by the, the shadow monster, the mind flayer, um, because it seems like that I guess the visions of the upside down are were such a um you know a prominent part of Stranger Things in the first season. And we didn't really get that many of them in season two because they they sort of tease this huge creature and then it just becomes Will, basically, for most of the season. Uh, and I just wasn't as engaged with that um, <laughs> with that particular plot line. And that seems to be like the driving force of what's going on in Hawkins. And then there is like a little bit of splintering off from there. But I, I mean, I liked it in the beginning, like the first few episodes. I was like, I was in again. And then all of a sudden, yeah, the momentum sort of... Uh, came to a halt especially in episode seven which i know we'll talk about later on but uh chris what did you think about the pacing
2: yeah i was actually i was okay with the pacing at first because i i thought it actually was like building to something and like you (laughs) i read once once i realized it wasn't going where i thought it was going i I, like, reflexively, like, looking back at the first few episodes, I'm like, oh, I don't like them as much now. Like, I I, I like the mood they set. I like the atmosphere they set. But, yeah, it, it's a lot of buildup for, a, like, not a lot of payoff. Like, I don't really get what the whole motives are for the shadow monster. It just seems weird to me that this, this giant monster would even want to just become, like, a small boy. Like, that just seems really – like, why would you – like, he's already a big monster. Wouldn't he want to just stay like that? And I, I don't get what his motives were other than, you know, destruction, I guess. It's just I feel like they, they, they've they sort of, like, written themselves into, like, a corner with the upside down in that everything that comes out of it is just this mean monster. But there's no real – there's no like more there needs to be more to it than that, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, it
1: seems to me that the Shadow Monster was in the advertisements as being the big bad of the season – But it seemed like it was a bait and switch. It was really these Demi-Demi-Dogs, or is that what they're calling them? Mm -hmm. Uh, Demo-Dogs? Yeah. yeah, um, And the Shadow Monster was kind of, I think, the build-up for next season or the next two seasons of the show. It seems like, you know, we have not seen the end of the Shadow Monster. Uh, One of the things I was... And by the way, I want to say, when I said that the pacing for the first few episodes was slower uh i did enjoy it because it was more character oriented but uh it was just interesting when i remember watching i think episode five and i was like not, it, it just occurred to me i was like nothing really has happened yet <laughs> do, do you know what i mean like it was just kind yeah. of a strange feeling um one thing i did not like uh episode two we finally you know get the return of 11 uh played by millie bobby brown And in last season, she was kind of left in the Upside Down, right? And I assume that this season was going to be about the kids trying to rescue her from the Upside Down, kind of like they were trying to rescue Will in the first season. I guess that would have been repeating yourself. Um, But in Episode 2 of the series, basically they reveal that, you know, moments after the end of last season, she was able to escape the Upside Down and has been living with Hopper this whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. That seems like a cop out to me because it seems like a lot of, and this happens with a lot of TV shows where they have like this really dramatic season finale, which seems like it's going to switch up everything. And then in the first two episodes of the next season, it's like, no, the status quo is back to, or do you know what I mean? Like, it's like they painted themselves in the corner and they easily got out of it. Um, it brings to mind, uh. Uh, not to ruin Mad Men at all for anybody who has not watched Mad Men, but there is a season finale in Mad Men where uh, one of the characters quits the ad agency that is the central part of this whole TV show. And then the next season like starts up with basically them starting up their own ad agency with all the people from the former ad agency. And it's basically – it just could have been the same thing. Do you know what I mean? like Nothing changed really. It didn't really change right. the status quo uh, too much. Uh, same with uh, Friday Night Lights. I want to give another example. You know, uh, the coach leaves one high school for another, and it just so happens that a bunch of the kids <laughs> did come with him. So it's, it, it, I mean, it does change the situation slightly because it's a much different school. But uh, did you guys have a problem with this, uh, with Eleven's return in this?
2: I didn't have a problem with her getting out of the upside down on her own. I do think it was very anticlimactic because she in, in the, the episode you're talking about, she's in the upside down for like three minutes, if that. And then she just finds like a hole and is instantly out. I was like, oh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be like a little more difficult than that. And like, I you know, I get the idea, to, you know, to get her back into the real world and start, you know, I guess the storyline they wanted. But it seemed like there should have been at least maybe like a full episode where she's trying to get out and they didn't even give that she's in it for a few minutes and then she's instantly out. And I I did think that was just a little too easy.
0: I think I was okay with the way that they handled that. I, I I don't know. I, I I wasn't as sensitive to, uh, to that, those particular concerns as you guys were, but I think, um, and because I think I like the 11 hopper storyline. But I think, I wish it could have that could have been, you know, the the first 3 or 4 episodes or something and then episode 5 or or, you know, early on in the middle of the season is when she could have finally reunited with everyone instead of holding that all the way back because I feel like that dynamic, her working with the guys and, you know, Dustin and uh, and Mike and everybody, um I feel like that is that's the source of the magic of season one for me. So keeping her separate from the rest of the kids was a big part of my, um, you know, sort of, I don't want to say I'm, I'm overall negative on the show, but I'm, I definitely did not like season two as much as season one. And I think that's a big part of why.
1: Yeah. I don't want to belabor this, but I was also annoyed that after they, you know, have Levin's return to the series, you know, we're then treated with flashbacks of how she got there. And the flashbacks in the season were really annoying to me. Um, sometimes later in the season, they would have flashbacks of things that happened, you know, a minute ago, um, like, you know, uh, 11 remembering things that happened in that episode and stuff. And it's just, I, I know it was being used as, as a device, but I don't know. It I just found it a little bit annoying, but, um, Let's move on from, let's talk about the returning characters a bit. Uh, what, what do you what do you guys think of uh, Winona Riders, Joyce Byers' uh, character? I feel like in the first season, I was quite annoyed at her. In this season, I enjoyed her more because uh, she was a little bit less manic. Uh, she was a little bit more supporting of where I wanted the plot to go <laughs> and not, uh, you know, the roadblock. Um, mm-hmm. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, I felt like she was a person this time instead of a a human scream like she was the first season, basically. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, uh, appreciated the work she did a little bit more. I mean, you know, I, I liked her performance in season one, but she was not asked to do much other than just, you know, keep the dial all the way up to 11. Oh, well, I got <laughs> 11, uh, <laughs> on the, uh, in season one and this, um, this season, it, it felt like she was able to, to sort of bring it down to a more human level. So I definitely appreciated that.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't want to ever speak ill of Winona Ryder because I love Winona Ryder, but The first season, I just don't think she had a handle on what the character was. And I I think that was like a script issue because she just wasn't really well written. So she just basically played the character, you know, as as constantly out of her mind, which I mean, it sort of makes sense because her son is missing and all that stuff. But it was just too much, whereas it's much more level headed in this season. I mean, you know, she's she's manic here, too, but it makes more sense. I guess, or maybe she just, she found the way to play the part better this time. I'm not really sure how to put my finger on it, but it definitely, it worked. I felt like it worked better this season than it did the first season. Mm -hmm.
1: How how about David Harbour as Jim Hopper? I feel like, you know, it's a dream team. Him and 11, it should be great, but I feel like for much of the season, it was, you know, him being the father figure telling her no, and it was not as an enjoyable as i wanted it to be it 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 it, it came around but uh, what w- what do you guys think
0: i was i was good with that that whole thing i i wish that again you know that 11 had been reunited with the guys a little bit sooner but i i really loved the um father daughter dynamic that they had going um you know sort of that that was the one part of the season that i felt like the separation actually worked um, because it was that sort of interesting pairing that you were talking about earlier, Peter. um, I feel like they those two actors work really well together um and and sort of play off of each other in interesting ways. And so I was uh, yeah, I was hooked on their whole thing, and I thought it it did uh, it worked wonders for both of the characters and their sort of growth and um, and yeah, forward momentum as characters and as people in this overall narrative. So um, I was pretty pleased with uh, with all of that stuff. And I, th- I think maybe I would have liked to seen him, uh, you know, punch a few more people because I think that was a really enjoyable <laughs> part of season one. Um, and I don't know if he punched anybody in season two, but um, <laughs> that seemed like a a character trait in season one almost that seemed to uh, to disappear as the story went on. But um, but yeah, I liked it. What did you think, Chris?
2: Yeah, I had no problems with that at all. I mean, uh, he's a great actor. I love the way he plays that character. Like you said, I I love the way he and uh, Millie Bobby Brown work together. Like one of my favorite moments in season two is just that scene where they're literally just cleaning up the cabin. like, And that has nothing to do with the plot at all. But I just love that little moment, the way that's handled. I also love late in in the season where they're trying to explain Dungeons and Dragons rules to him and he's not having any of it. Like I, I was, I was yeah. just like cracking up at that. I, I kind
1: of wonder, you know, I, I often watch these kind of things and I think as a screenwriter of like how it could have been better, which I, I know is probably not the way to think as a reviewer of content. Um, but I, I kind of wonder if, if they didn't, if it would have been better if they had played Hopper off, As, you know, at the end of last season, we saw him kind of working with the Department of Energy. Like, there's some kind of, you know, something going on. And this season, like, him kind of, like, telling the kids to let it go about Eleven and, like, not showing Eleven until, you know, episode five, six, or possibly seven. And actually having the reveal there that he had, you know, been harboring her that entire time. And that, like, we think the whole time that, like, he's kind of a bad guy working with them but then we wouldn't have got all the Eleven Harbor, you know. Yeah, it's yeah.
2: it's a it's like a it's like a tough line because I'm sure on one level they wanted they knew if they kept Eleven out of the season for so long fans would just be like where's Eleven so they I guess they tried to like split hairs in a way and just like withhold her for a little bit and then you have that reveal at the end of that one episode but I, I actually agree that if they had withheld her for maybe like two or three more episodes and then made that reveal it would have had maybe a little bit more impact.
1: Um, what other of the cast do you guys want to talk about? Uh, is there anybody specifically from the from the returning cast that... Uh,
0: yes, uh, yeah, I have one. So this is the the thing that I alluded to earlier, where it was a character decision that I thought um, did not work very well, and that is uh, Gaten Mazzaro as Dustin finding Dart, uh, D'Artagnan, the little uh, Demogorgon creature. I think that the show basically forces Dustin to do things that are wildly out of character just to move that storyline along, um, knowing how uh, in tune he is with the rules of Dungeons & Dragons, knowing that he and his friends faced down a demigorgon at the end of the previous season, and that one of his best friends in the world was uh, you know, trapped in this alternate dimension For him to just blindly accept this thing as a, uh, you know, a pet and hope that everything turns out well just seemed insane to me. I was like, Dustin, you're smarter than this. Why, why is this happening? Did you guys find that to be a troubling thing for you? Or were you fine with that as a character move for him?
2: Yeah, I, I I definitely had a problem with that. He, he just, basically the, the script forced him to become like a jerk basically and put all his friends in danger. And I, I didn't really like that at all. It didn't, it doesn't fit with who that character is.
1: Yeah. Friends don't lie. Um, (laughs) and (laughs) any other returning characters, uh, should we talk about, um, you know what, let's talk about justice for Barb because last season, (coughs) you know, Barb, you know, had her untimely death in the upside down and, uh, you know, fans, were upset that she didn't get her due, and I feel like the Duffer brothers heard all this criticism and they're like, you know, let's make a whole subplot of this season around Justice for Barb. And I feel like that's one of the weak points of the season is like I didn't need this much Justice for Barb. <laughs> <laughs> what about
2: you guys? I, I I like the setup of it. I like the idea that um what's her name? Nancy has like guilt over it. I like that but they sort of just forget about it until like the last episode. And like there's that shot where like it's Barb's funeral. And it's like they, they set it up and they didn't really do anything with it. So I didn't mind well, the, it, but it was. Well, it they're, wasn't, expo- like... they're
1: exposing the Department of Energy for her benefit.
2: Right, cause... right. And but even that seemed, seemed like almost like an afterthought. Like they, you know, you, you just get like someone like it's like a news report at the end saying something. Cause like even that they sort of just gave up on. So. And by the way, yeah. one of,
1: one of my most hated characters of the season probably is that guy, the investigator. I forget the actor who plays him.
2: But oh he's, Brett Gelman.
1: Yeah, he's just so too comic relief for this movie. <laughs> like he you get into his bunker and he's one of those stereotypical guys with, you know, the strings on the you know, from photograph to photograph on his walls and it's just so unbelievable. And I feel like season one, if it had a character like that, you would not believe it. It was more in that world and this felt like a TV movie character
0: <laughs> man I gotta I gotta disagree Peter I love that character I love I think the whole Justice for Barb thing because it doesn't really harp on Barb herself that much um, I think it was worth it because it brought that character into the mix because I really liked his comic relief I thought he had the best joke of the whole series with that uh, with referencing the pull out couch for uh, for Jonathan that little double on top there good. Um, and I think, uh, I think he's the kind of character, him and the, the kid who works at the arcade, I thought were, um, two of the best sort of, um, expansion characters that they brought in to make the world feel a little bit bigger than it was in the first season. And I thought they both worked really well for the time period that they were supposed to be in. I think we'll talk about episode seven pretty shortly, I think, but, um, but that whole divergence, I did not think worked very well. But I think those those characters and how they were you know, sort of more directly tied to um, the characters that we know and Hawkins, Indiana, the location itself. Um, I thought that all of that stuff worked pretty well. And I, I was pleased that there wasn't too much of the Barb stuff, but I thought they sort of struck a, a decent balance there. But I don't know. That's just me. Chris, what did you think about Brett Gelman and that whole thing?
2: Uh, I didn't mind him. I mean, uh, I thought he was amusing. He wasn't, like, my favorite part of the show, but he didn't bother me uh, as much as he bothered Peter, apparently.
1: I don't know. It just seemed too jokey for the show, but maybe maybe, um, maybe, maybe, it's just me. Um, when we're talking about new characters, we have to talk about Max, uh, Maxine, Mad Max, uh, who is one of the biggest new characters added to the series, uh, Sadie Sink, um what do you guys think of of the addition of Max to this to this group of kids? Chris, go ahead.
2: Um, she was fine. Uh, of of the the two main new characters, Max and her brother Billy, uh, I, I honestly don't think they added that much to the show. Like, especially Billy, which I guess we'll talk about. But for now, um, Max, I. I mean, I, I liked the little subplot she had with her relationship with Lucas. I thought that was fine, but I really didn't think she added much to the show. And at the end, like, I, I don't really care. if She comes back basically like, the first season, all of those characters. I was like, all right, I can't wait to see what happens to them in the second season. But Like, Max, like, if if season three started and they were like, Max moved away, I'd be like, all right, that's fine.
1: (laughs) Yes. So you were were basically Eleven when, you know, she goes to shake Eleven's hand and Eleven just walks by her. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
2: I was like, I I agree. Yeah.
1: You, You did the Princess Leia to shoot Chewbacca in uh, Force Awakens uh, yeah, yeah I, I agree I think the only reason for
0: Max to exist is for Eleven to see her and Mike in that gym in that moment and misinterpret the situation I feel like dramatically that is her only real purpose in the new season I mean I guess there's a, a relationship with Lucas there but that didn't even feel particularly well fleshed out to me um, and I, I agree with Chris if she's gone next season that would be, I would be totally fine with that
1: I mean, maybe they're building her up for a uh love triangle kind of storyline in the future, possibly. I mean they're obviously doing that teasing that a little bit in this one. Uh I I, I very much hated her brother in that whole storyline. So yeah. did you hate him in the way that you're supposed to hate him or Both. did you hate him beyond
0: that and like you actually hated the fact that you even had to watch him and that the character was in the show at all? Because he's clearly a character that's supposed to be hated.
1: Yeah. I would say both. What are your feelings (laughs) on on this character? He just seems so unnecessary and it seems so, uh, by the numbers, I want to say.
0: I mean, yeah, you know, like I felt like there was a little bit of, um, of like the show attempting to introduce some racism into it, you know, with like, he clearly doesn't like Lucas because he's a black kid, not just because he's a kid who's hanging out with his little stepsister or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, they didn't quite go as far as they could have with that. I think he's, you know, comically over the top as far, you know, in every regard, basically. He is like the the stereotypical 80s bully, you know, from a karate kid or whatever, like turned all the way up, you know, as as far as the dial can go. I loved the scene in the the last episode with him. And um, I think it's Nancy's mom. Um because that scene is so ridiculous that it almost plays as like a fantasy in her head. She was reading like a, uh, um, romance novel in the bath. And, um, <laughs> and she comes down and he like is like borderline seducing her. And I thought that that worked really well. And I thought that was like that character, um, or that actor, I think his name is, uh, Dakra Montgomery. He was in, he was in the, uh, the new Power Rangers movie earlier this year. Um, I thought that was like the best thing that he did in the whole season and the rest, he was just like sort of a stereotypical bully. But Chris, did that character work for you at all?
2: No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> part of it is, you know, like you said, you're supposed to hate him, but the performance was just, it was too much for me. Like I kept waiting for some sort of like reveal that that character is on like cocaine or something. Cause he's so, Insane like he's too insane like he's there's a part early in the season where he almost runs over the kids and it's like I, I don't know I just thought that was like way too much like he's too much of like uh, he, he goes beyond being a bully he's like a psychopath and I, you know that's fine I guess if you want to flesh it out more but the show never does much more with it. And at the end, he's just sort of like still hanging around like, all right, nothing. Like, yeah. I mean, Max, Max has that moment where she, you know, triumphs over him, I guess, but it seems like, like kind of like an empty win. Like it, that doesn't, that's mm-hmm. not going to change the fact that he's crazy. So, right. Yeah. I don't know, Chris,
0: I'm, I'm interested in your reaction to this because it seemed very much like, uh, Billy was a, a villain in the Stephen King mold. He felt like a, like a Henry Byers, I think, or Henry Bowers character from, um, it, And, uh, you know, uh, like those characters aren't necessarily always um, fully fleshed out or explained. They just sort of are psychos that are there to terrorize the protagonist. So it's interesting to hear, uh, you know, such a hardcore Stephen King fan sort of come down a little bit more negatively on that character when those types of character archetypes exist so prevalently in, uh, in Stephen King's work.
2: Yeah, but I, I, Stephen King has like a better way of like making the characters seem more fleshed out than they are. It's like this, this like secret only he knows how to do really well. I can't really <laughs> explain it, but yeah, it just it didn't it didn't work for me like it should have.
1: Another new character this season, I think, is. Uh... in in a way responsible for another part of the reason I I was disappointed with the season that is Dr. Owens played by Paul Reiser because last season, basically the department of energy was kind of, uh, the bad guys and, you know, they knew more than we, we knew. And this season, you know, they let us into their lab and, uh, you know, there was more nefarious things going on behind the scenes. You know, they're watching well, things are not going as they think they're going, but, uh, In the end, they just seem like a bunch of baffling uh, like a buffoon scientists that don't know what to do other than to we need to burn it. And uh, I think Paul Reiser's Dr. Owens really is uh, reflective of that. What what do you guys think of Dr. Owens and also, you know, his laboratory? It it, it feels like I wanted I didn't want the mystery to be revealed with that. I wanted to think that they knew more about this than they do.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. I I feel like that's exactly how it was in the first season where you were constantly trying to catch up and and sort of uncover the truth of how far this conspiracy goes and like what exactly they know and, you know, are they responsible for it? What's happening here? And this, it, it seems like Paul Reiser's character is sort of like one of us, like just sort of wandering in and you're meant to not exactly trust him as the season begins because, of his association with that company and, and, you know, the, the lab and all that stuff and what we've seen there and what we saw 11 go through there. But it really, I, I was sort of expecting a twist or some sort of reveal that, you know, all of the meetings that he was taking with, um, with Will and, uh, and Wynonna writer writers' character, Joyce, uh, that they were, you know, he was like covering for something or like, that there was more going on with that character than what it actually was which is basically just him You know being a guy who is you know He works for the company and he ends up being like a pretty decent guy in the end But there's not really a lot there with him. I really I was a little disappointed with that
1: But by the way, also there's this scene where they're giving a PowerPoint uh, or not PowerPoint some kind of slideshow uh, of Will's brain and, you know, all mm-hmm. the people, all the doctors around this desk with like these printouts of the the brain activity in Will. And it, it just felt like it felt like an SNL sketch. It, it did not feel like this show. It, it just felt like so below what those characters should be doing and the the intelligence that should be in that realm of this world. Chris, yeah. did you have any
2: problems with this? I actually liked this character. Uh, I don't know if it's because I just liked the way Paul Reiser played the character, but I I like the idea that it it subverts where you think it's going. I like, I like the idea that you're, you're supposed to think, Oh, this guy's going to turn out to be evil, but he actually just turns out to be kind of a nice guy. And I think that ties into season one a little bit with the the character of Steve, where he's sort of set up to be this jerk boyfriend archetype character, but he actually turns out to be, much better than that, especially in this season where he gets much more to do, but it, I actually yeah, I kind of liked that you're, you're meant to think he's evil and then he turns out to be not evil after all. that didn't bother me. I thought that was a, a nice twist on the character, especially since he's played by Paul Reiser, who plays sort of a similar character in aliens where he, you start out thinking he's like a nice guy and then he turns out to be like a jerk working for the company who wants to you know capture the alien mm-hmm.
1: Now, I think the shining star out of all the new characters is clearly Bob, played by Sean Astin uh, of Goonies fame. Uh, He, you know, I don't know. I just feel like I I wanted more with him. He was not as big of a part as I thought he was going to be in this uh, series. uh, But when he was there, it was I, I always cared. And I always, you know, there were some great moments like that whole hospital or a uh, uh, escape sequence, which mm-hmm. is just w- one of the best uh, I feel like action sequences in in this season. Uh, ben, your thoughts on Bob? Uh, I liked him a lot. He is basically the definition of norm core. <laughs>
0: He's like the, you know, the most basic dude that you can possibly imagine. And I think that is exactly what uh, Joyce was looking for in the wake of this, you know, super traumatic event that happened to her at the end of the first season, you know, with her her son going through this crazy thing. Um, so that character made complete sense to me. I, I think he worked really well. I think the only thing that I was a little disappointed about with him was just sort of how predictable that plot line was, his, his story was. Um, you know, you could sort of call everything that was going to happen to him in those final moments, you know, yeah. minutes before it actually happened, and Uh, You know, the only reason I was like, maybe he's not going to die was because I was like, Joyce has already been through a lot as a character. I don't know if the show would actually do that to her. But then you sort of think about like how, you know, she's probably going to end up with Hopper at some point in the, you know, before the whole series is over. And it's like, well, I guess they're they're not going to bring Sean Astin back for another season to to pay him to come back. So I guess they're probably going to wipe him out here. And that ended up happening. So um yeah, I thought he did a really good job and, and that character, you know, just sort of exudes the um the goofy uh you know, normal dad kind of vibe that they were really looking for there.
1: Um we should also talk about Will as the spy. We mentioned that earlier, that Will had kind of uh that the Shadow Monster had infiltrated Will. And uh by the way, that episode is called The Spy. And when Will tells them where to go, um I was instantly like the episode's called The Spy. Will's the spy. Like it, it, the episode spoiled me on that moment, way before the reveal of that moment. Did that happen to any either of you?
0: <laughs> no, not really. I didn't really pay much attention to the uh
1: the character or the the episode titles um <laughs> I guess until afterwards. Um, Chris, it d- didn't bother you at all. Didn't have, um,
2: uh, I-, I guess I sort of saw it coming, but it didn't, it didn't bother me, I yeah. guess. I don't I was like... the, the other weird thing is it seems
1: weird that, you know, they have the spy um, uh, in their midst and he's somehow giving them like Morse code, uh, messages, which the shadow monster can't see the Morse code. I don't know why. Why? Why wouldn't the Duffer Brothers have used the spy in a way where you know they they give Will information they know is false to trick the Shadow Monster or the demi demi dogs into a, a situation based on the false information, using him against the Shadow? Do you know what I mean like it, it? It seems like a situation that was not even paid off, really. In in as much as just for that surprise that uh you know all the scientists were killed
0: yeah there wasn't really much there um with that whole thing and that's that's sort of my problem with the the shadow monster which is such a cool design for a character and something that feels very much in tune with the sort of um you know spooky elements of the upside down just getting um like, sidelined into a character that we already know. And, I mean, Will, poor Noah Shap, the actor, he just, like, was strapped to a bed or strapped to a <laughs> pole or whatever for, like, the whole season. It felt like, you know, he was just, like... I thought this was going to be the season where he was normal again and, like, teamed up with his friends and, like, maybe he is, like, a, a key part in solving whatever mystery they're working on or or whatever. Like, he's just one of the, one of the normal kids again. But it turns out that he is, like... The focal point of this whole thing again, um, and that I was just like, man, that's that. I feel bad for this kid because he just like has so much, uh, uh, so much trauma now. But yeah, I was a little unsure of how the mechanics of that whole Morse code sequence were working, and I just think that whole subplot did not work as well as they wanted it to.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't really know what the shadow monster even wanted. Really, I just don't, I don't understand that character that creatures motivations and uh and i agree that whatever happens with with season three they need to have it not focus on will because it, it's going to get ridiculous if every season something terrible is happening to this kid like he, yeah he needs to, someone needs to cut him a break for season three <laughs> okay guys we got it we've, we've been alluding to
1: this this whole podcast we got to talk about chapter seven the lost sister which seems to be everybody's least liked episode of this, of not just this season, but of the series. <laughs> um, it, it seems to, uh, you know, just as momentum is finally building to a place that we're actually excited about what's going on, This this chapter basically takes us out of this and gives us a side story that I don't think anybody wanted. Um, and, uh, I'm not sure really the purpose other than for 11 to decide that she needs to be there with her friends. Uh, Ben, you wrote a whole article on this on slash one.com, uh, comparing this to your, your worries for star Wars last Jedi.
0: Yes. Yeah. I think so. Um, Chris talked about it in his spoiler review of the season. So I want to hear what Chris has to say in a second, but I, I really like the idea of building out. The mythology and and finding out more about Eleven's backstory, um, I just think this was a really really terrible way to go about doing that because we've as we've said over and over again the you know and we've hammered it home the reason that Stranger Things works so well is because we love these characters and for Eleven to be separated from the characters we love not only separated from the characters we love but also sucked into this group of characters that are nowhere near as compelling or interesting. Um, for an entire episode and it just it felt like uh this was a huge misfire so i'm not really sure um what they were doing there it was like and and chris talks about this in his review where it sort of feels like a backdoor pilot almost for for a separate show i have no idea if that's what the duffer brothers are actually intending to do there but i I really hope not because i would absolutely not watch that show um but it did (laughs) make me think about star wars the last jedi which is you know specifically because you have a female protagonist in 11 who is separated from the dynamic that works so well the first time around and, and completely, you know, pushed away from the main action. And that's been something that I've been, you know, slightly worried about with the last Jedi with Ray, you know, where she and Finn uh, played off each other so well in the force awakens and she's going to be off training with Luke and, you know, doing her own thing for a majority of the movie, or that's what it seems like anyway. Um, I, you know, I I just I'm not crazy about the idea of um, franchises in general building fantastic chemistry with, you know, uh, different dynamics of characters and then just ripping those apart just for the sake of, you know, switching things up or whatever. It's like that's part of why people are coming back is to see that dynamic play out again. And I just think uh, episode seven of Stranger Things, two is like one of the worst examples of how how that can go really terribly. But um, well, before, Chris, what did be, you think?
1: Wait, wait, before we get to Chris, I just want to say, you know, last season of Stranger Things, a lot of people gave it a lot of uh, flack for being just kind of nostalgia, just ripping off all these You know, Stephen King, Steven Spielberg movies and that whole thing. And I think the Duffer Brothers even acknowledge that when, you know, uh, Lucas tells Max the story of what happened last season and she kind of gives her critique of it being unoriginal and whatever. You know, it's obviously a nod to the reviews, uh, the bad negative reviews from last season. And this season, I feel like they did try to do something different and it didn't work um yeah. this is as different as you could possibly get for the series i didn't want to see the city i want to i want to stay in hawkings uh chris right. what are your thoughts on this
2: yeah uh, pretty much what you both said is how i feel um th- this made me angry <laughs> this was like one of those early those episodes of like later seasons of lost where they set up like a big cliffhanger and then they immediately focus on something completely different to just draw it out. And it sort of worked fine with Lost, but for this, it was just like, I don't care about any of these characters. Like they're very generic punk rock characters. They're from like Robocop, like they're extras from Robocop, just wandering around. And it it really bugged me, especially bugged me being so late in the season. It's like the third to last episode right when things are really heating up back in Hawkins, they immediately jump to, I I think it's like Pittsburgh and it's like, who who cares? Why, why are we spending so much time with these people? I think, yeah, I think it's Chicago. Chicago, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it it makes no sense. And like the whole, whole reason exists is to have 11 be like, I want to be with my friends, but she's felt like that the entire season, like her whole arc this season is how she wants to, get out of the cabin and reunite with her friends. Like we didn't really need an episode where she takes like a road trip to learn that. It just, it just, and now I'm all for learning more about her backstory, but there was a better way to do it than this.
0: Yeah, that's the biggest problem, right, is is that it seems like from the very beginning of her arriving there and you realizing the the moral compasses that these characters have and Eleven and the one that Eleven has are on, you know, completely opposite ends of the spectrum. So, you know that they're not going to be able to meet in the middle. You know that this is going to be a brief interaction. And it's just like. You know, ten minutes into the episode, you're like, "Oh man, I know what's gonna happen here. We're gonna spend this entire episode there, and then she's gonna leave." So it just feels like a waste of time. Um, yeah, I was, I was not a fan. And,
1: and we didn't learn much. Uh, you know, you mentioned loss, but uh, it brought to mind, and I know that this is probably a uh, more funny worst example, is you know when South Park had that huge cliffhanger, and then the next episode where they were gonna answer. Uh, the big question—I forget what it was—something about Cartman's like mom is, or who is who is Cartman's father or something yeah. like that. Uh, you know, it was Terrence and Philip. The whole episode was, you know, a complete bait and switch, and it felt like that. Even though this still had characters <laughs> that we wanted to see, kind of, um, it, it felt like a complete bait and switch. Um, by the way, I, I, I we haven't talked about this yet, but you know, uh. We're seeing in this season. I don't believe it was in last season. Levin goes into this state where she's like in this like black void with water. Was that in last season at all?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that was there. That was a big part of season one. I, I, I do think not she. At the, that. I think at the end of season one, she's like in a um, in a pool in the gym, and she is laying there, you know like a kiddie pool kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think she goes into it there. And I think when she was in the tank. Um, in the, in the lab, like, she was... That was, like, the whole way of the... It was the, the same Department aesthetic as that? Yeah, yeah, the okay, same, I'm totally like, forgetting. under-the-skin kind of vibe, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I was going to criticize it for ripping under-the-skin, but apparently <laughs> I, it already did that, and I forgot about that. <laughs> um, you know, let's talk about the, the climax of the season, because I feel like, uh, you know, the climax of the season was rather disappointing it was very filled with cg you know they're shooting at a void you know hoppers on this thing shooting while Levin is just you know doing her jedi mind force thing on the thing and like it, it, yeah. what, what do you guys think like is it was was there anything to enjoy in, in that climax chris what do you think
2: i mean yeah it was entertaining i, I wouldn't call it memorable really like It's one of those things like I kind of forgot about it as soon as it was over. Um, I did like a little like there was like a little character moment afterward where after Eleven shuts the upside down, I guess, whatever she does, where Hopper tells her she did a good job. Like I liked that because it was like a little quiet character moment, like stuff like that works for me more than like the action. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I was just disappointed that it seemed like there was, you know, in, in the end of season one, it's like they've they go head-to-head against the Demogorgon. And, you know, it feels like there's real danger there. It feels like, you know, that thing is running through the hallways and murdering people left and right. And you feel like those characters, the characters that you love, could die at any second. And this, it feels like Eleven didn't even face off against the Shadow Monster. It was just her closing a portal, you know? And, and I guess the Shadow Monster was... Um, you know, driven out of will in that sequence where they sort of turn up the heat on him. But even that was, it, I was expecting that to happen. And then 11 to have to face off against this thing in some sort of significant way. And it was like, it was just trapped behind the portal and it barely even tried to do anything. <laughs> it just, it just seemed very anticlimactic
1: to me. Um, On the other side of that coin, the eighties, 80s... Uh, middle school movie dance ending was so cute and so wonderful. And, uh, it almost makes me wish that this, this whole ending took place at the dance. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, put it in those kind in, in, in that kind of situation rather than this, where it was. Um, but, uh, you know, it reminded me of like, you know, uh, some of the best, you know, uh, high school movies of like the Mm -hmm. eighties. Uh, what did you guys think of that? Uh, the ending?
0: Yeah, I liked all that stuff. I thought Dustin's hair was ridiculous and
1: his relationship
0: (laughs) with Steve as the, as the season goes on is one of the high points for me. I think Joe Keery did a really good job this season. Um, sort of fleshing that character out from, you know, the, the stupid bully that he was in the beginning of season one. He's become sort of a, a fan favorite, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. the the whole the whole dance thing was very it was like touching. It was a very emotional, sort of ending. Uh, it actually just makes me want to, want the show to just be about these kids just hanging out at this point. Like, I don't really care if anything supernatural happens to them anymore. I, I kind of just like the dynamic of them just being friends. Like, we don't need any more of the upside down, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. So, so speaking of that, I'm interested, Peter. What did you think about the very last shot? So it zooms out of the dance and you see the gym and then the camera flips over and you see the shadow monster sort of hovering over the upside down
1: version version of the gym D- and then it cuts to credits um what did you think about that it, i mean it was not nearly as cool as the you know the end credit sequence for uh the last season like that felt more like an 80s horror movie and credit sequence this just felt like Oh, they're, you know, we're teasing next season. And it really didn't tell us anything. Why is this shadow monster only obsessed with these kids? I don't understand it. It doesn't like the rules of the first season made sense. The rules for the upside down, the rules for the Demogorgon, like everything that we learned kind of made sense. And in this season, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what happened. What are these Demi dem, demogor dogs or whatever they're called? Like what what is going on? Do you, do either of you know what happened? <laughs> um, no, I, I, yeah. I, I,
0: I guess, I guess I, not. It's weird that at the you know at the fifty minute mark of a podcast where we've been talking about this whole season for you to say do either of you know what happened? And both of us to say no, but um, but I guess I don't really when it when it comes
1: down to that. What what were the tunnels underneath the the, the town? Like do we even
2: had... I think that's like the upside down is spreading. That's what I thought it was, but yeah, I could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it's. You know, um, what's his name? Paul Reiser's character was not aware that the uh, the opening was. You know, uh, underneath the Department of Energy building, it was going so far down and sort of seeping out into the town. I think that's why those tunnels formed. It was because they weren't aware of the extent to which um, the tu- the uh, the portal was growing. Um, so I think that's the answer okay, to that. So what,
1: but, what is the grand plan? What was the purpose? What was the shadow monster trying to do in this season? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer.
0: I think, I guess they talk about it a little bit where it's like the, the goal of the, um, Dungeons and Dragons character is to what, like take over a planet and like harvest it or something and and then move on to another one, like enslave a race or something. I think it's just sort of a generic mm. Um, you know, alien movie kind of uh, plot. And I guess that, that works for Dungeons & Dragons, which is a game that sort of trades on those kinds of tropes. And it, it you know, uh, in the first season, the characters were creating analogs for Dungeons & Dragons characters, and that is how the audience understood the relationship between those characters. And I guess the same thing tried to happen here, but it wasn't quite... Um, as clear because I think because most of the time the shadow monster was inside will I feel like you could see what the Demogorgon was trying to do in the first season because you watched the thing itself wander around and like you know learn and make decisions and go you know go after certain people or whatever you could sort of get a sense of its goals and motivations and like Chris has been saying you you don't really have that sense for the shadow monster in season two because you don't really get that many shots of it. I don't know if it was just like too expensive to put the visual effects into creating that thing, or if they didn't want to give it a real personality Um, or yeah, if it's all some sort of setup for the third season. But I I felt like the final shot of season two, it was just like, Oh, this could have been the final shot of season one. It, It felt like not a lot had, had progressed really in the grand scheme of like the mythology side of, of things because you know, it's not like the creature was defeated. It's still there. It's just sort of hanging out in the
1: upside down. I don't know. Um, I'll tell you one, one other thing that one very minor thing that bothered me is the walkie talkies guys. Like this show is supposed to be set in the eighties. So set it in the eighties. Don't give these kids cell phones for all intents and purposes. Do you know what I mean? Like they're able to contact each other no matter where they are. Like that's not how the eighties worked. The eighties worked. You called, you, you called your friend's house, you talked to the mom, you left a message do, do you know what I mean like it, it's like then you gotta call back the next day. I know that's not cinematic, but um, I don't know. it just felt like this could have been set today uh with the with everybody with these uh walkie talkies um, I think the I don't know if that's fully true
0: i I see what you're talking about, but I think there are enough moments. Especially the ones where Lucas's little sister, um, yeah. you know, comes into play. I think she's like got to be a new fan favorite. She was great. She's um, awesome. You know, she. Uh, I think it's Dustin is trying to get a hold of Lucas, um, you know, over and over again, and he has a conversation with her, and he doesn't finally reach him, you know, until hours later or yeah. whatever because of
1: that exact thing. So, I think they they try to have it a little bit both ways there. Um. I know we're wrapping this up. Let's talk about directors here. Obviously, the Duffer Brothers were in charge of overseeing the entire series, yeah, series and season, uh, writing wise. But uh, they directed the first two episodes. The second, in the last two episodes, uh, the episodes three and four were directed by Sean Levy, who is as vanilla as you can possibly get. And I think Andrew Stanton, who is five and six. Uh, you know, that looked the most cinematic and most like a movie out of all the the episodes for me. Um, episode seven, the most hated one was by a woman named Rebecca Thomas, who, uh, did a 2009 Sundance film festival film. And, uh, she had a, a debut feature called electric children, which I have not seen played at Berlin film festival. She's a big Mormon, uh, director, uh, I'm wondering if if the the negative feedback on this on this film is going to negatively impact her career or not. And then, yeah, uh, I was
0: really disappointed to find out that she directed that episode because I think everyone despises that episode or everyone I've talked to anyway and I was I was so bummed to find out that it was you know that was like this was her you know her chance to sort of step into a big show and and sort of uh, boost her career a little bit but she was like in talks to direct Captain Marvel at one point I think she's taken over the director's chair for this film called intelligent life that Colin Trevorrow was either wrote or was going to direct um so she seems like a director who's on her way up and I would have Love to for her to have directed an episode that everybody loved, you know. But it's just uh, unfortunate she got she ended up sort of getting saddled with the uh, the script for the the one that everybody sort of hates.
2: Yeah, I'll say that the problems with that episode they're not on a director level; they're definitely like a script level. So I'm hoping she comes out of it okay because that episode is actually kind of well directed. It has very cinematic moments in it, but the script is just so. Stupid, you just forget about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, what, what, and I also I didn't mind Sean Levy's episodes, Peter. I I didn't really find oh, much of a I'm not saying a, they're
1: bad. They're just kind of very like wide shot singles. Do you know what I mean? Like it's very um there's not much style to it. The Duffer brothers have style. Andrew Stanton has style, even when I don't like, you know, the guy in the bunker, the investigator. You know, yeah. he has his more comedic moments. Like it, you could feel Andrew Stanton in that, in that, in those episodes, and Sean Levy just feels vanilla all the time. Mm-hmm.
2: Chris, any thoughts Fair on enough. any of the directors? I kind of feel like the show is so not what's the word it, it's not very episodic anymore i mean the first season wasn't very episodic either but it was much more than this season this season was literally just like a nine hour movie and i feel like if you're gonna do that you should probably just do what the first season of true detective did where you just get one director and have them direct the whole thing so it just feels no more, co- more coherent i feel like you need to do either one or the other you need to either make something episodic. And give it multiple directors or you need to just if you're going to make it a big long movie You should just have one director with one vision. So that's that's my take on it
1: Okay, let's end this podcast with uh, stranger things 3. We know it's coming. They've already announced it Uh, Not officially, but you know, we know that there there's four or five seasons planned Um, And obviously they're teasing it here and how well it's done. There's no way it's not gonna happen Um, So uh, what do you guys think? Is going to happen in Stranger Things three? What do you guys want want to see going forward in in the series, and what do you guys not want to see? Let's
0: go ahead, uh, Chris. Chris. Go ahead. Yeah,
2: um, I don't know what will happen. I do want them to get a little bit outside their comfort zone, I guess. But then again, when they did that, they gave us episode seven, and that didn't work out too well. But I feel like it needs to be more than just Uh uh-oh, the Upside Down is opening again. Like It's just going to start getting repetitive if every season is pretty much that same sort of conflict where it's the Upside Down unleashing monsters. Like I kind of feel like they need to jump ahead in time and I kind of feel like they're going to have to do that because by the time they get around to shooting it, those kids are going to just look much older. I mean, you can even tell in this season where all their voices are starting to crack and stuff like that. You can just tell they're already getting older and it's going to be very noticeable by the time the next season rolls around, so they should probably jump forward in in history just a little bit. That that's yeah, basically. I think
0: they. I think they are. I, I wrote a little bit in the uh, A Stranger Things bits article on the site yesterday where. The producers were talking about how they aren't going to try to trick people into thinking that season three takes place, you know, a few days after the events of season two. They are going to jump ahead where it's been like another school year kind of thing. Um, so I think that will put the younger kids as freshmen in high school and Nancy as a senior in high school, just to give everybody some perspective for where they're going to be in Stranger Things 3.
1: In, in Stranger Things 3, I would like to see the kids brought back together. for for a lot of the season. You know, I'd like to see them go on an adventure, you know, their own, you know, Goonies like adventure. Uh, For whatever reason, they can't trust the adults. Whatever reason, the adults can't be part of it. Uh, I want to see, you know, obviously Department of Energy has been kind of disbanded. There's going to be, have to be this new government organization come in. Uh, Maybe have the adults, you know, be dealing with that uh, matter. But um, I want to see more ground level. I want to see more, you know not these big abstract things and people you know people uh, getting possessed by uh, by the you know upside down i want i want to see you know demigorgons that are you know right in front of the kids and they have to fight them and i want to and i also want to see these kids in high school i think that would be great i, I you know I, so much of the show is in the enjoyment of the show is not um at least in season 2 is not that mythology so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of I was I was all I was down for more mythology. And now I'm like, you know, let's let's push it back on the mythology.
0: Um, yeah, I think for me, if they are going to try to expand the first of all, I wish they would just keep the whole thing in Hawkins, because I think that's a big part of the appeal of, the, you know, that sort of small town feeling. If they do decide to, ex, you know, spread the. Uh, the boundaries of the show a little bit. I hope that more, you know, like the whole group of kids go because then at least you'll have that dynamic in a new location instead of one person being separated from everybody else. And then I think with, from the uh, mythology aspect, the upside down, I would love to see something in there that is not this malevolent evil. I would like to see, maybe, you know, some sort of good creature come out of there. And that could introduce a little bit of, um, you know, make that that whole thing a little bit more interesting than instead of just this is this pit from which evil, you know, arises every year or whatever. I think, you know, I was speculating that there might be two shadow monsters from some of the trailer breakdowns that I was doing, and that didn't happen. But there very well could be, some other force that's in maybe another area of the upside down. Maybe the kids have to go to, you know, another state or something and go to the upside down there. And we see what that looks like, you know, the upside down of Chicago or of a big city or something like that, you know, where this other force might be, I don't know. I'm just spitballing, but that kind of thing might be uh, a way to sort of um, keep things a little bit more interesting instead of just repeating the same sort of tropes over and over again.
1: I'm kind of wondering with them introducing Max, who's from California, if that was some kind of setup for a California trip or some of some kind, um, hmm. which could be interesting. Uh, you know, obviously they set up in this season or even last season, you know, that there's nine other uh, kids, at least nine mm-hmm. other kids. Um, this season they went to Chicago to visit one, uh, one of them, uh, number eight, I believe. And... um which, by the way, it should have been should have been seven in chapter seven, right? Like, the, why not? <laughs> um, but uh, should we see more of them? Should we explore more of these, uh, you know, X Men like uh, powered kids? No. I wouldn't
0: mind it if they came if they came to Hawkins. Uh, I wouldn't mind it. Like if they came looking for. You know, if the, if it was like a homecoming sort of scenario where they were coming to find out more about their own past, I think I would be fine. But I think it's the combination of that sort of uh, X Men reject thing with a new location, with new characters, without all the other characters that we saw that sort of was the perfect storm of
1: badness for Episode Seven. And Chris, you're you're just you just don't want to see it at all.
2: No, I I don't want to see those characters again. I don't <laughs> I don't I don't want to spend any more time with them. Uh, maybe like. I forget the character's name, but the main girl—maybe she can show up in town. The rest of them, I—I I never want to see any of yeah, them. Yeah, no, I mean, I,
0: I definitely don't want to see them again. But like, you know, other other of the numbered characters, you know, with maybe different powers or something like that. I think there there's definitely potential to sort of um, you know dig into the mythos a little bit there.
1: But by the way, if her sister, that that girl, that main girl, can can make people see whatever that she wants them to see why does she build a wall so they can escape? Why doesn't she just make it look like another car is escaping in another direction and that they're (laughs) invisible so they can, I don't know. It's just like, I feel like the rules of this do not make any sense, but she's not as creative as you are, Peter. That's what it all boils down to, man. (laughs) (laughs) So that does it for stranger things to review. And I I, want to say guys, I I did enjoy the season as much as it sounded like this last hour has been kind of, a uh, complaining vest from all of us and us you know being very critical of of the show Uh, I do enjoy these characters I do enjoy this world and I do want to see more it's just I was I was disappointed do you guys have any any final thoughts on Stranger Things 2
2: yeah I had a lot of problems with this season but I still love the show uh, the first season is still great I'm looking forward to season three whenever we get it I'm just going to chalk this season up to like growing pains, like they they sort of stumbled upon a hit here, like I don't think anyone involved with the show realized how big it was going to become, and once it became so big, there was a lot of pressure to sort of have lightning strike twice so yeah uh, there or there, uh, a, there's a yeah so, i B- think ben um, I, I
1: I know you are much more uh careful about what you watch. And the quality of TV that you yeah. consume. So, yes. it, it, will Stranger Things three be something you you will seek out?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. And I, I yeah, I also want to echo your thoughts. I don't think this season was like a catastrophe on the level of True Detective season two or anything like that. Um, it was just a little bit of a step down for me from what I considered to be a really, really terrific first season that set the bar extremely high. So, it would have been tough for anybody to come up, you know, to come back from that and match that level of quality in the second season. So I think they did relatively well, um, considering, I, I just wish, you know, like some of the things we talked about, they could have fleshed out some things a little bit better and maybe kept the character dynamics, uh, in, you know, sort of more reflective of what happened in the first season. But, um, hopefully they'll, they've gotten that part out of their system. And then the third, uh, season will sort of, um, yeah, you know, address some of those issues.
1: Okay, I think I think this might be the longest episode of Slash Film Daily in the history of Slash Film Daily. So uh, we got to cut it off here. I want to thank everybody uh, for listening. We are now in the top four on iTunes TV and Film Podcast. Please go, please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. You can read more all. You can re- read a ton of about Stranger Things season two and season three on Slash Film. I'm going to link in the show notes all the articles we mentioned, including Chris's spoiler review, Ben's article on uh, why episode seven makes him worried about Star Wars and uh, much, much more. Uh, you can find this podcast published every weekday. On iTunes, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. And I promise tomorrow we will be back with a new episode with news and all the stuff you love. So uh, we'll see you then.